There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town and branch microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host retired nypd sergeant bill cannon a 27 year veteran and to my i guess you could say my right if you're looking at the screen is uh retired nypd detective and straight out of brooklyn phil grimaldi what's going on phil not too much billy how you doing i'm doing pretty good i'm excited you know mike cadell has been on the show but uh i really you know it's it's tough sometimes to fit each guest in for what their expertise is. But Mike, not only is a retired NYPD detective sergeant, spent a lot of time in narcotics. He was a housing cop. He's got so much street experience. The guy's on the street, like, uh, admired this guy. And he's a fourth degree black belt in uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, which is scary. He even has the cauliflower ears to prove it. You know, like they say, that's what they say. If you go into a club, you see a guy with cauliflower ears, get the hell out of there. Welcome to the show, Mike. (laughs) My ear ear modeling career is over. You know, I was talking to Mike a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me, you know, he has a school that teaches. He's got about 200 uh, students that go to his school. And he was saying some of these college wrestlers, you know, the kids – in 1920, they come in there and they want to rip my head off. And I could just imagine that, Mike, you're in your 50s, right? I wish I was in my 50s. All right. Well, well <laughs> you're older than that. But yeah. I can just imagine going <laughs> at it with these 20-something, 19, 20-something-year-old kids, and so, they want to rip your head off. And even though you're a fourth-degree black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, these guys are college wrestlers. That's serious shit. Yeah, man. Tough kids, bro. Really tough. I guess yeah. it keeps you on your game, right? Yeah, it keeps me on my game. It keeps me in the in the ice tub. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. That's unbelievable. So tonight the topic is, and I think we've sort of been laying off not going after this topic, but it's ripe. I think it, you couldn't have three better guys to go after it. And that is the problem that the NYPD has. And believe me, it's a big problem. They're pretending it's not. It's a huge problem. And the problem is they are losing cops left and right. And not just through retirement, through guys quitting. No one ever used to quit back in the day or such a small, small percentage. Guys are quitting and quitting to go into other fields, which that almost never happened, and quitting to go on other police departments. Florida is actively recruiting NYPD officers, and NYPD officers are running to Florida. There's a couple of reasons. One, Florida ap- appreciates their police. Florida is more police friendly. New York City has become a bag of shit for police. Can you imagine in 2022 that they're starting cops at $45,000 a year? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That is that is pathetic. You know? And and then add all the other baggage, the diaphragm law, bail reform. No more qualified immunity. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable. So we're gonna we're gonna take a deep dive into this. 
and we're gonna we're gonna understand what can the NYPD do NYPD do to try to reverse this, or is it too late? Bill, what do you think? Well, where do I start? That's uh, you've touched on so many of the topics that I'm like raring and ready to go. But specifically, I want to talk about the CCRB that if you don't tip your hat to somebody and say good morning to them, they're making a civilian complaint against you. And then you get called down to CCRB. And now they have the authority to level fines against the member of the service, against the police officer. So they could actually impugn you with, with a, uh, a monetary fine. Uh, listen, this is not Boy Scouts. This is tough work. So there are times where language might get dicey and, and you you know, you lose your temper a little bit. And the first thing they're doing is they're running to CCRB. And the way the policy is now, and Bill and I were talking about it earlier, if someone says, I want to make a complaint against you, you have to take out a business card and hand it to them. So you have to tell them who they have to make the complaint against. Now, I, I mean, listen, this is not major stuff if it's, you know, cursing or whatever. But the bottom line is, is that this deterred officers from wanting to get involved and serve the community properly. It's the little things that they're, they're going to they're just going to ignore it because they don't want to have to deal with CCRB. So uh, I think we could start there. The CCRB is, has been taken over by civilians. You know, Mike, Mike, you're a boss. You know that probably 10 percent of the entire force did the enforcement work. The other 90% were pushing the paper that those 10% drove, right? Absolutely. I, I got to tell you, because you brought up CCRB, I have a guy that trains with me. <clears throat> um, he was a lieutenant at the time. He's since been promoted. Um, he was a lieutenant at the time, and he, and he was an active active guy, active cop, active sergeant. He goes out with his with his plain clothes unit, and they go and they, make it a, they see a wanted felon, a guy who was wanted. They have his picture. They see him. They knew him. They get out of the van, him uh, and two cops. He puts his hands on the guy. The other two aren't, they're not as active as my friend. Let's just, let, let's just say that. They weren't as street smart as the lieutenant. <clears throat> he's a good, like I say, he's a good active cop, good active boss. He grabs the guy, guy's up fighting with him. As he's fighting with him, there's a woman there with a phone, with the camera, cursing at them for roughing up this guy. Now, the video's out there, actually. The video made its way around. He's not roughing up the guy. He's trying to cuff this guy. And she's being some pain in the asses, bro, with the, this, with the camera. Right on top of him. Anyway, they cuffed the guy up. I said, man, you did a hell of a job restraining yourself. Well, not only cuffing the guy, basically by himself, but restraining yourself from getting involved with this female, either locking her up or getting doing. Do you know they gave him a complaint? A CCRB complaint? Because while she's yelling at him on, with the phone, she's saying, I want to know who you are. I want to know who you are. What's your name? And he's busy making a collar. He doesn't have the time or the uh, – he doesn't have the opportunity. That's to, basically obstructing governmental administration right there. When he told me they gave him a complaint, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was shocked. You know, Mike, I, I think that that should be against the law. There was just a state that made it against the law to come within eight feet of a cop with a camera while he's taking action. Right. I totally believe that should be against the law because you're endangering the cop. And eight feet isn't isn't enough. You know, no, absolutely. it's not enough. You know, guys, let me just play a little bit of this so we get the flavor of what's going on in this city. And then uh, we can all comment on it afterwards. 
The numbers we see in the media reports, there's been a historic rise in crime across the country that is only expected to get worse in the hot summer months. But right now, some police unions are sounding the alarm of a nationwide officer shortage. In New York City alone, new data is revealing that 1,500 officers have either resigned or retired so far this year. It's actually closer to 1,600 officers. Uh, that's up nearly 40% from this time last year, the largest mass departure on NYPD record. To help talk about exactly why uh, this wave of resignations is happening, I'm joined right now by retired NYPD detective and professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Michael Alcazar. Thank you for being with us. Uh, first of all, I know the NYPD is pushing back on those numbers from the police union, saying that departures are only slightly higher than the previous year in 2021. But with the rise in crime, wouldn't this still point to a very dangerous situation? Yeah, this is not the time to lose police officers. Uh, historically, summer months are always the highest in crime, highest in shootings, highest in homicides. Uh, we're in track to hit that also. And we have, we're have we losing a lot of police officers. We, we also have poor recruitment. I had students that I teach in John Jay that normally are usually excited to get on the police department. This past April, I had three students that were supposed to go into the police academy and they turned it down. Uh, they're apprehensive. They're not sure if it's something they want to do anymore. And, and it's scary. They're asking me for advice and I don't give advice to my students. That's a decision. That's a life decision they have to make for themselves. If they're not ready, uh, I don't recommend they go into it. In terms of uh, a lot of departments actually pointing to the great resignation, you know, of course we're seeing more officers leave because people of every industry are leaving and retiring. But from what you're seeing, the numbers you're seeing are more police officers and members of law enforcement retiring earlier. Because when you are a police officer, typically you, you stay in it. You stay in it for decades. But are we seeing more officers actually turn in their badges before they would typically yeah, it's something I've actually never experienced or heard of where police officers are actually quitting in the police academy, quitting before they hit their 20 years. And then when you have the senior people that are eligible for retirement, meaning they've done their 20 years, like myself, I did 30 and I stayed because I enjoyed the job. Uh, when they're eligible to retire, they retire. They don't want to play pension roulette. They're not sure if they're going to get the backing of the department. The city council pretty much makes everything uh, like for the criminal. They don't support the police officers. They don't know if police officers don't know if qualified immunity is on the table. Do they have the protections? If they do their work properly, legally, are they going to be indemnified by the police department? And that's something they're asking themselves. So if they're not sure, they're leaving, they're retiring, and we're losing a lot of senior police officers that are valuable in training new young police officers. In terms of those uh, officers leaving at record numbers, we've seen the same thing happen here uh, in Chicago, where News Nation is based. Uh, officers who are not being recruited at the same level in Oakland, California, we're seeing similar situations where the uh, department does not feel supported by uh, the council members or the local community. Is there anything that can be done to turn this around? Well, in Philadelphia, they're going through the same thing. And I heard that they're thinking about bringing back retired police officers, meaning the retired police officers can collect their pension and then go back to work and earn a salary. And that sounds like desperation to me. I don't know if the, the New York City Police Department is thinking something like that, uh, but that's something they can look into. Uh, I don't know if police officers are willing to come back from retirement. Uh, police officers in New York are underpaid. They're underpaid and they're overworked because this shortage of police officers 
meaning now they have to answer more radio runs, more 911 calls for the average police officer in NYPD used to handle like maybe eight to 10 jobs during their tour. I heard they're handling like 30 to 40 jobs and it's a very wow. stressful job to begin with. And it's daunting and, and it's, it's bad on their, their mental and, and physical welfare. So I think a lot of people, it's, to them, it's become just a job and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And their families don't want to do it anymore. Right. And I would I would love to keep talking with you. I would imagine the situation is different depending upon whether you live in a very large city like the ones we spoke about, or maybe if you live in and work in a community that's smaller, more rural. Uh, but 40 percent increase in robberies in the city of New York, uh, nearly 15 percent increase in rapes. Uh, obviously, police are busier than ever and they need more officers on the force than ever, according to those statistics. Michael, thank you so much for being with us this morning. You know, Mike, I want to mention one thing, and I know you, uh, you came on around the same time as me, and so did Phil. And the barometer to crime, to crime going up, back when we came on a job, was robberies. If robberies were up, that was the worst sign. It was almost like, you know, a barometer telling you that, oh, a northwest wind means we're going to get real bad weather, you know? And that's what's going on now. All the signs are there, but, you know... One, one good thing about police executives and uh, is they're good bullshit artists because they've been training to do that their whole life. And they can spin it in a way that you'll be like, oh, they said it's not that bad, you know. But guess what? It is bad. And if you look at the history of it, one of the things it goes back to is the whole defund the police movement. And even before that, back, and I'm going to say this and people won't like it, to Barack Obama. And that little incident with, with the officer, with that Harvard professor, when yeah. Obama immediately took the side of the Harvard professor over the police officer, called the officer's actions stupid, and then he had to eat his words. Right. That sort of set the tone yeah. for an anti-police atmosphere, and he, he didn't go away from it. Then that went into the Michael Brown incident in Missouri, which was a horrendous, horrendous incident where the police were correct but yet we were eviscerated by the press, by the politicians, and the politicians jumped on it because politically it was good for them to do that. Comments, Mike? I mean, listen, it's such a – the atmosphere is is ridiculous for these cops. It's, uh, you know, they, this guy, this detective, retired detective mentioned bringing cops back. I mean theoretically it sounds great, but I don't – honestly, I don't know – if we'd be able to deal with the, the the crap that these young cops have to deal with. No, we wouldn't. It's the only a, thing is, Mike, I could use some new teeth, you know. <laughs> I want the dental. <laughs> he's complaining about the dental plan. <laughs> I need some new implants. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, but listen, if, you, if, if they want to bring cops back, obviously they'd have to secure their pension, you know, guys right. that are retired. But also, you could wind up getting locked up with this diaphragm law and all this other nonsense. I mean, it, it's really getting dicey out there. And I just want to make one other point. When I was talking earlier about the CCRB, that's the Civilian Complaint Review Board. That's a, uh, became a civilian agency. It used to be in New York that it was a uh, uh, NYPD officers would – uh, take the complaints and investigate them and then determine punishment for, uh, you know, recommendations to the police commissioner. But now it's a civilian agency. It totally went the other way. And um, 
I, I know a story that this happened last Christmas where uh, there was a robbery on uh, the subway. It, it was a case out of Coney Island, District 34. Uh, the guy that did the robbery was wearing a Santa Claus hat. He had a green hoodie on. And two officers, transit officers, they stop a guy wearing a Santa Claus hat and a green hoodie. They, you know, they stop questioning Friscom, and it turns <clears> out he's not the guy. They arrest the right guy. However, he says, no, the cops were nasty to me. They wound up, he winds up making a civilian complaint and the cops lost time. I think it's insane the way that this is going on. And I think that's one of the bigger deterrents for the patrol force. When they hear stories like this, they're just not going to get involved. I mean, could it be that there are two guys walking around with a Santa Claus hat, one being a robber and the other guy just happens to be in the area? Right. It happened. But they did a, a legitimate stop and they were uh, they, they were disciplined for it. It's ridiculous. Mike, now, Mike, this is your, um, some of you jujitsu guys right before lunch. I think you were sending someone out <laughs> with some veal cutlet parmesan heroes. But uh, <laughs> jujitsu, very serious. I think every cop should study jujitsu from the time they come on till the day they retire because physical force, using force is a dirty word in policing now. And jujitsu makes it just look so clean and you, you can't even tell the guy's in pain. <laughs> the, the, the department, I mean, we know even when back when we, you know, we all, like you said earlier, we all came out at the same time since then. And before then the department doesn't spend enough time uh, training cops in physical, in hand-to-hand -hand physical contact. I mean, that's the bottom line. It should, I mean, especially if the, listen, they don't want shootings, obviously. Nobody wants a bad shooting. Um, but when you're a little bit uncertain of yourself, you, your your reaction is to grab your weapon or a weapon. And that's what you do. You pull out your weapon. Um, not a guy tells, not a bad guy tells you, take that, take your gun or take your, and the, or if the taser doesn't work. Now, now what? Then what do you do? Well, if he tells you take your gun and stick it wherever, what do you do? You put your gun back and, feel, and act like, you know, and, and, that, and that's it. If your last resort was your weapon because you had some kind of confidence in your, your, your ability, you have confidence in your partner's abilities, you know, it's a, it's a, it'd be a whole different world. But the, the department doesn't, they, they nickel and dime, they defund the police, they talk about um, changing, uh, using funds for different, different, uh, different weapons, so to speak, just train the damn, train the cops how to protect themselves, how to protect their partners and how to protect this, you know, the public. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I find outrageous and people don't realize is that the New York City Police Department under Bill de Blasio was defunded by one B with a billion, one billion dollars they were defunded by. People ignore that. The New York Times never writes a story about that. The NYPD was defunded by one B with a billion with a B, and you never get that back. Granted, some of the money was hidden with school safety. They just moved school safety from uh, room A to room B, and they right, were able right. to deal with a lot of it. But some of the other things they've done, like let's talk about uh, – I have it on the screen. Uh, this is a quote from Pat Lynch, and this is in regards to the diaphragm law. Our city leaders need to realize that this ruling deals a direct blow to our fight against the violence that is tearing our city apart. This ill-conceived law makes it virtually impossible for police officers to safely and legally take violent criminals into custody, the very job that New Yorkers are urgently asking us to do. Yeah. Mike, you know, and, and, and Phil, you know, 
We deal with jailhouse jacks, guys that just graduated from Rikers, class of 2022. Or they graduated from upstate, class of 2021, 2022. And they, you know, they come out, they're all jacked up. Yep. The average cop can't roll around with a guy like that. Now you're going to take tools away from the cop that he uses to, you know, to disable this guy. Crazy. They don't want pressure on the guy's body, upper body. When they say uh, chest, um, they don't only mean chest. They mean back. They mean any from the waist up. You can't, if a, if a, perp, a criminal, somebody you're looking to arrest or apprehend or cuff is down on the ground, you can't put pressure on their upper body. So basically, you, they want you to put pressure on their from their waist down, their hips, their legs. But that's not what's going to strike you, and that's not what's going to reach for your gun, or that's not what's going to reach for their own gun. Um, it's really when I when when this when they were putting this in enacting this regulation, I, I was dumb, really dumbfounded. You couldn't believe that it would actually. I'm going to show a video right now that is probably the worst example of this going bad. And thank God the two cops are all right. But this, uh, in fact, this is such a great example of what could happen that the PBA used this as a, uh, let me see if I can get this on the screen and bring it to the full screen. Okay. I'm just going to narrate it. They're trying to toss this guy. Uh, he's obviously not complying. Look, they're afraid. They're, they're not, the female cop has a gun out. She, what are you going to do with it? You can't shoot him. You got to put it back. So now they're at a disadvantage. The perp takes off because he knows they can't do anything to me. Right? Now, again, they, they, they get him. They tackle him. I guess the, the troops are coming. They were able to, um, to radio to get backup units to come. They, they were able to get them. They, they, you got to realize, now they're afraid because they know they're being videoed from everywhere in the world. They're afraid of getting a CCRB complaint. They're afraid to get a complaint for too much force. And you're going to see what happens here, which is outrageous. Right there, that cop is in violation of the diaphragm law because they're putting pressure on his upper body. So right there, if the diaphragm law stands, they could be arrested for that. That's ridiculous. Meanwhile, this guy is armed, right, Billy? There it is. There's the gun. There's the handle of the gun right there. Okay. So he's got a firearm. They're trying to take it from him. They're trying to put cuffs on him. They have to wrestle with him, and they can be charged with a crime. Think about that. It's amazing. That is probably, I mean, very fortuitous video. Great to, to see that because it shows what can happen. Now, I despise politicians. I'd like to go to the city council and slap every one of them that voted for this. This is sickening. They obviously do not care about the cops and they care more about the perps carrying guns. All three of those cops could have been killed by this guy. Yep. It's amazing. You know, I, I always, and not to, honestly, God, not to sound like a tough guy or any of that stuff, but I would love, I would let any five, six city people who sit on the city council Try to handcuff me without putting pressure on my upper body. Let, let them just try. They could do do whatever they want. Obviously, not shoot me. Let them do whatever they want. Let's see if they can how long and if they would be able to handcuff me without putting pressure on my upper body. And of I'm of course they couldn't. Of course they couldn't, Mike. 
no, they have no, and and of course they their their reasoning would be they're not trained, they're not cops, they didn't take a job, they you know they they didn't take the job to become a cop, but all of that's nonsense. They, you know, like I said, these cops aren't trained in some sophisticated manner. Uh, you know, then they and they're not trained enough. So pick any group out of the city council, try to cuff any guy that's in you know who could handle himself just a little bit. And, and let's see them do it without putting pressure on the guys up waist from their waist up. It's yeah. impossible. literally impossible. Here's another point, Mike. And I always try to tell people this. Um, if it's a 110 pound female or a 275 pound ex linebacker, when you have to use force on someone says, you know, you're under arrest, put your hands behind your back and they say, no, it's not going to look good on video. Now that every cop is wearing body cameras and everybody's got a videotaping cell phone, we're going to see a lot more of it. And it really just doesn't look good because people will critique and say, oh, geez, well, why are, they, why are they grabbing his elbow? Why are they grabbing his wrist? Well, the person is not complying with a lawful order. They're under right. arrest and you have to use force. Force will never, ever look good. However, if it's somebody like you, Mike, that's uh, trained in jujitsu, you might be able to make it look less bad, I guess, because if you're using a wrist lock or some type of a hold, and that's probably a very, very good thing. There should be more training in that area. But again, like I said, if if someone doesn't want to be handcuffed and you have to use force, it's not going to look good. And people have to just be able to deal with that fact. Yeah. Mike, uh, what place did you come in in uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest there? <laughs> <laughs> that's my old partner Coney that's coney island there's a, there's a good picture look at that he's a good looking guy there right no wonder he's got 200 students at his jujitsu school you know there he is in his gym there i mean look jujitsu i have such a respect for that because it hurts to learn jujitsu all you guys always submitting each other bending your wrist back another way your hand back your leg back submitting I, you know my son used to study jujitsu and i was like oh my god and he was a wrestler so and mike tell the story about how you got a lot of um college wrestlers in, in your club and tell them tell about how you have to fight these guys well i get a lot of you know i get a lot of uh athletes in general i get a lot of college wrestlers uh high school wrestlers big strong kids um studs you know college wrestling studs and they want to come in they want to, you know, their wrestling career is over, so to speak, and they want to learn something that's very similar to wrestling, and they want to do train, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. They want to get on the mat. They have some mat knowledge already from all the years of wrestling, and, you know, and that's it. They want to come in, and they want to beat up the, the old guy, which is me. <laughs> they want to be in the bar later that night with a, with a, with a Bud Light and be saying, that fourth-degree black belt, I kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Now, Mike, this was an old uh, book that you wrote, right? Yeah, that book uh, came out about eight, nine years ago, yep. And you were trying to uh, have that made into a movie, correct? Well, it was, it was actually optioned a few times. De Niro's uh, studio, Trebekah bought it, Showtime bought it. Um, uh, another guy by the name of Brad Furman, who did Lincoln Lawyer and a bunch of other movies, they optioned it a few times. So it was, it was uh, bounced around. And again, I'm speaking with a, a production company right now, uh, as we, you know, currently, and it looks like maybe something's going to happen with it again, hopefully. Yeah, What's Mike, this, this was book, me. Mike? Oh, this was me addressing uh, some uh, UFC fighters. 
letting him know who was boss, you know? Oh, let's get ready to rumble! <laughs> you know, Mike also has, Mike Cadella also has his own podcast that's called Up Against the Wall. So I want you guys to know about that. Subscribe to it. He's on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, he's got a, a great jujitsu school. The only problem it's in Staten Island. You need a helicopter to get there during traffic, right? Not for me. It's for me. <laughs> Mike, what, so what time is it? It said 1988 heroin or? Yeah, the, the, well, it had a hard copy. The hard copy had a different title. When it went to the UK, the U it, it was published uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, other parts of the world also, but the United Kingdom changed it to, actually it's here. It's called uh, Alphaville 1988, Welcome to Heroin City. And then when the the the, uh, the American publishers, St. Martin's Press, liked it so much that they kept that title. Yeah, so. Okay. So what is it about, like the Lower East Side uh, heroin? Yeah, it's about uh, Alphabet City. Okay. Um, we, did, we did a, my partner and I, uh, we were kind of recruited to the DEA and we took down 40 uh, heroin dealers from Alphabet City. Big, you know, big, big heroin guys. Yeah, it was a good Sounds case. interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. So one of the, we, we want to sort of stay on theme. Uh, some of the things that have been such a disaster and the theme of why police are leaving this job is, A, we had the diaphragm law. B, we have bail reform. And th three, they got rid of qualified immunity. All the things that protect cops in doing their job. So I remember when we came on a job, I was in anti-crime. I did six and a half years in anti-crime as a boss and as a cop, including citywide anti-crime. You're always told, take risks, take risks, take chances. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. If you right. were told that today, you'd be like, well, take, why should I take chances? Who's paying for my lawyer when this is over? When I get suspended, who's backing me? But that's what they told us. Isn't that not true, Mike? Yeah, it's true. And we did. We, You know, cops were active back then for the most part. Yeah. We, work. we wanted to have a good time. We wanted to put people in jail. Now, <clears throat> I speak to guy, young guys, young cops all the time. They're so tentative about doing anything. And then I really, you can't blame them. How can you blame them? You know, what I always say is, <clears throat> and just in general, um, and, and again, the city council don't care. They don't even, they don't get the big picture. When we're, we're just looking for, when we have a guy against the wall, whatever he's done, um, we're making, we're looking to make an arrest or we're fighting to make an arrest if these guys fight with us. These guys are fighting for their lives. They're looking to run. They're looking to kill us. They're looking, you know, it's their lives, livelihood. They're going to jail. We're looking to lock them up and they're looking to not spend the rest of their lives in jail. So already they got the, they got a hand up on us. They already, they're going to be the aggressor. They're going to, you know, they're going to take the, make the first move. They already got the hand, a uh, hand up and the city council keeps knocking the cops down. Ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think that they want to take the side of the, uh, of the criminal. Right. And, and that's obvious. Look at Bragg. Look at Bragg. When he came into office, he came in with that 10 step program. He wanted to make robbery first degree with a gun as long as the guy didn't shoot, he wanted to make that a misdemeanor. He should have been fired that day by the governor. He should have been fired. Outrageous. I want to play a little bit of this, guys. There's a guy escaping from the police.
Wait a second. No Let me see if I can. Yeah, I want to get that back on with uh, <clears throat> with some sound. So. Let me see if I can uh, get that back up on the screen. One of my favorite reporters, this idiot here. <laughs> this guy's a moron. Dolan, right? Isn't his name Dolan? People they were arresting. We don't know suspect or involved in something else. In the back of this car, that man rolled. He was in handcuffs. He rolled down the window, and he jumped out of the car. Let's go to the videotape right now. And he... Uh, got halfway across West End Avenue before one police officer first, and then a number of police officers tackled him to the ground. He was still struggling with several police officers as they uh, eventually picked him up off the ground, literally carried him to another cruiser uh, and finally got him under arrest. Again, we don't know what his involvement was with the shooting or if he had any involvement at all. Uh, police did arrest a number of people here uh, for various things. And we don't know what he was arrested for. He was in the back of a police cruiser with handcuffs on when he jumped out and attempted to escape, but he didn't get very far. Again, there was a shooting earlier. The victim in that shooting is expected to survive. And we don't know what relation that was to this man who got out of the cruiser. But uh, it was seen by a lot of young kids getting out of school. Right yeah, what does that mean? He was, um, he was, he was in the car. I think they had him in custody. It was seen by a lot of kids open. getting out of school. So they're, they, they're traumatized. So for a uh, that's where he's going with that, Bill. Yeah. In the middle of the street, and then uh, a bunch of police officers chased after him, tackled him, and after was in the car. Yeah, climbed out of the car, head first into the middle of the street. That's when he was. Tackled. That's when he was apprehended, and then yeah, they got him away. Uh, this is the car he was in when he rolled down the window. Somebody rolled down the window and uh, climbed out one police officer first and then several other police officers uh, got him to the ground and eventually arrested him. Again, one person was shot earlier, uh, though his injuries are not expected to be life-threatening. You know, things like that happen because of the cops are afraid to put their hands on people. Right. And, my, you know, Mike, during our time, if a prisoner even attempted to escape, someone got suspended. That was Ray Kelly's rule. If a prisoner ran out of a radio car, whether he was cuffed or not, yep. whoever was in charge got suspended. Right. I wonder how many people got suspended here. How about, you know, oh, my God, they're, 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 they violated the diaphragm law. They put their knee in his back to get him cuffed. I'm going to say that. This is just pathetic. You know, it's like... Hey, hey, Mike, when I went through the police academy in 1982, I went through the transit police academy, and they did teach a little bit of jujitsu. Obviously, not a whole lot, but they gave us boxing and all that. Is that still the policy, do you know, for the police academy for new recruits? Do they get a little bit of jujitsu training or no? I think they... Yeah, I think they still do. Um, last I... Uh, uh, a lot of times, some of my students, when they're in the academy, it's known that they train a little bit, and, and, and the instructor calls them up and he uses them. So I think they do. But again, we, we both know it's minimal. It's very, very little, yeah. I, and I think the boxing is almost almost obsolete. They don't they don't let them uh, connect with each other. They don't other. let them hit, hit one another? They let them connect to the face. I think they use pads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. unbelievable. And now we also have uh, – Let's get uh, move on, even though uh, we could cover more of this, is to the uh, bail reform. Let's talk about bail reform. 
you're talking about there's a, there's a guy because the Lieutenant's Benevolent Association reports on all the people who have been arrested for guns this year. There's a guy who's taken five gun collars wow. and he's out. He's still out. He's out. He got bailed every single time. So when that guy shoots and kills someone, as we all know that recidivist gun people do, who's taking the blame for that? This guy Bragg should be fired. Uh, I mean, Mayor, uh, Mayor Adams just had one of his, uh, somebody on his staff robbed, right? Yes. yes. The, guy, the victim said, don't, uh, do you know who I am? Or something to that effect. Or uh, I work for Mayor Adams. Do you know who I am? You know. It's, and and it's, that went nowhere. They still got robbed. It, it's, good. Let me rob you twice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Will S. Pony, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. 100% not letting law enforcement do their job. That's for sure. You know, all of us here that are sitting on this panel are former anti-crime cops, and this just irks us to the bone. There also, there's been some talk recently because of gun crime and shootings are getting out of control of loosening up stop, question, and frisk. And I just saw an article on LinkedIn today, and again, the idiot that wrote it called it stop and frisk. Whenever I see that, I know that is animus by the writer because that it's not called cannon, stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. So you give yourself up. Any of you journalists listening, if you put stop and frisk, I'm going to immediately rip you to shreds in the comments because it's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. And if you knew the law and what the procedure was, you wouldn't write that. But because you're animus for the police, you can't help yourself. Billy, Billy, just think about what you said about the person being locked up five times with illegal handgun and bailed. Now, what's the message that we're getting here? This person has a propensity towards gun violence. They keep getting their hands on a gun. They're getting arrested. They're getting out. And then they're getting another gun. So, again, that's like a time bomb waiting to go off. Sooner or later, somebody's going to get shot with that gun. And why is this person even carrying a gun? You know, we're not even looking at that. And yet they're going to bail them and bail them and bail them. And Governor Hochul in New York State doesn't even want to address the bail reform, which it's it's just completely, completely insane to have bail reform where somebody like that is going to be out before the officer finishes the paperwork. It's unbelievable. You know, even a lesser crime like... Mike, let's 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 move you into Staten Island and you you own Mike Cadella's Italian uh, Italian uh, deli, all right? And people come in there and they start stealing shit every day. Can put you out of business. And here you are, Mike Cadella. This is a second, third generation owner of this of this Italian deli that has been in this neighborhood forever. They can put you out of business. Yeah, I mean. That's have pretty you, serious. Have you seen them walk into the malls and just cl clear out a store? A Gucci yeah. store, a coach store. They just walk in, grab all the pocketbooks and take off. I mean, yeah. it's it's there's, there's no repercussions for these guys. Zero repercussions. And that guy that got collared with the gun took five collars, took five gun collars. So that means he's been caught five times with a gun. Right. That means he probably carries a gun 365 days a year. Yeah. And he's standing behind some poor old man and gets in an argument with him and he could shoot him or how many people he's already shot and he hasn't been caught for the shooting and he's walking around with a gun and he's only been caught five times. It's, it's, it's really, it's not, you know, it's heartbreaking. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, Harlem Raiders, 
By the way, Lieutenant Pete had a great article in yesterday's Newsday about his love of wearing uniforms throughout his whole life. Uh, if you haven't read it, you can either go on Facebook, uh, run Lieutenant Pete's name in the article. He posted it on Facebook. Or you can get the actual Newsday article. I just know if you go online and try to get Newsday, they try to get you to pay for it. So, uh, Lieutenant Pete, lack of mandatory sentences for gun possession and violent crimes is the major problem. Lieutenant Pete, you're 100% correct. And until they do you know what the problem is, is that you get this certain billionaire, and his name is George Soros. Yep. And he pays to get all these left-wing DAs elected, yep. and he donates millions of dollars. How does one left-wing billionaire affect the elections to these people? It's disgraceful. And he's doing it throughout the country. He's doing it in San Francisco. He's doing it in California. He's doing it in New York and Chicago and Baltimore, all the places. And wherever he's doing it, whoever he's backing and they do get in, crime skyrockets. The quality of life in those cities goes down. And yet this this guy's uh, he should be in jail. He should be behind bars what he's doing. It's amazing how much he must hate America. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Let me put this up here. Hey, let's welcome to the show former NYPD detective. He's Dr. Oscar Odom. Doctor, it's great to have you on. Okay, this story, defund the police, uh, that push. It's triggering an, an exodus of cops across the nation right as violent crime spikes uh, coast to coast. Now, doctor, police departments, we're seeing reports, they're taking drastic action to get more cops in the door and that they're lowering potentially their recruiting standards in states like Illinois, Missouri, and Connecticut, lowering educational requirements, maybe forgiving prior, you know, small bore drug use. What do you think of this, this new trend? This is what we call insanity. Because like the movie, I always say from a few good men, you need me on that line. You want me on that line. And here they go, lowering the standards when they're complaining so much about what police are doing, where they have experienced police officers, what majority of the time are doing the right thing. And at 1% or less than 1%, when they mess up, then they try to blame everybody about what's taking place. They need to be evidence-based and data-driven and look at the data and see what the police officers are doing. When they lower these standards, they're going to pay. And I like to see the type of advertisement that the politicians are going to have to try to recruit someone to take a job where you're going to be second-guessed, where you're going to put your life on the line and see what happens next. You know, Doc Doctor, we are in the middle of an historic crime wave. You and I have talked about this, a 30% spike higher in homicides. And already in the, in the first six months, we're seeing five cities getting really smacked hard. And it's minority neighborhoods are slammed by rising crime. What's more of a violation of civil rights than an innocent citizen, a black person or African-American or Asian or an Hispanic, getting killed because of defund police and weak on crime policies? Once again, that's that's another term called insanity for them. Like I always say, they need to give up their police uh, security details, walk out there and look at the numbers. As I always say, a dead body is a dead body. It doesn't lie. When you add up the numbers and you see what happens, there's more proof to show you that they need to stop this starter, defund the police movement and to make sure that they're putting the right resources there. Because at the end of the day, like I said, when you start counting those bodies, you're going to see what's what and you're going to see that there's going to be a bigger impact on those communities because you're going to have more people dying because of gun violence. And doctor, the summer has just started. And doctor, and wait this, till it begins. Wait till it begins. Doctor, there, this looks like it's a sea change. This might be a hinge point, a turning point. The Minnesota State Supreme Court, 
delivered a big win for a group of Minneapolis res residents. They were suing due to an influx of crime into their neighborhoods after the defund the police movement. Doctor, the court is saying, Minneapolis, you violated your city charter. You're not hiring enough cops. You got to bring on more than 730 police officers. So that's a sea change. Oh, most definitely. And I'm glad somebody is uh, looking in the mirror to see exactly what happens and looking at the data and realize what it, what is taking place with the police. When we look at it and we look at the data, like I said, let's look at the data to see the arrests that police officers have made regarding homicides, robberies and assaults. And then, like I said, one thing happens or something and then you try to sweep everybody in law enforcement with that. Just think of the nobility that one must have to receive a call, man with a gun, and then go running in that building, selfless, sacrificing their life. And they may have family themselves and they go in there without any hesitation to go and see what takes place. In now you're causing cops to hesitate by these different defund the police movements and say, wait and, and hold up. So why would one rush into something when you may be second guess and lose your life and or lose your career and go and to but prison? We have officer fatalities in the line of duty spike by more than half from uh, 2021 versus 2020. And, you know, you, we hear you loud and clear. Police officers, it's really dangerous to do that job. You know, thousands were injured in this in the 2020 riots. Let's watch. Uh, and and they, many of them were killed. Let's watch uh, civil rights attorney Leo Terrell on this. Watch. The Democrats are soft on crime. They want to claim that there's systemic racism and systemic discrimination. But in those five Democratic cities, you have people of color being killed by people of color and by different other groups. And yet the Democrats won't do anything about it. Why? Because that's Black Lives Matter. That's Antifa. And what you have, you have soft on crime prosecutors. People who the Democrats allegedly care about, people of color in these Democratic cities, they don't care about yeah, we're seeing in Philadelphia like 80% of the people murdered there are black people. It's happening in cities across the nation. Why the silence about this, Dr. Odom? Well, well, one of the things I would say is that, you know, obviously they don't go according to their model where they say, see something, say something, because like I say, they see something, people say something, and then they do nothing. So that becomes an oxymoron right there. I'm seeing something and I'm saying something, but then you do nothing. Then what happens? The bodies continue to pile up. And I can't put it any more vivid than that because that's what should shock the conscious and allow you to look at it besides all of this rhetoric that everybody's talking. Look at the bodies. We need to save the children. We need to save the communities. We need to go according to our constitution and make sure that everybody's able to walk around, enjoy the freedoms that are protected under the United States Constitution. The first 10 amendments of the United States Constitution is called the Bill of Rights. Okay. This is what we embrace. This is what we have to look at. And by allowing people to just go reckless there and defund the police and not allowing police officers to be there, this is what you get. Dr. Rona. You know, right I, uh, I just, uh, he's great. Uh, uh, Bill Ryan, Ryan investigative, uh, investigative Group, thanks for the $5 super chat. The NYPD Brain Trust is running out the door. Who will be around to teach the next generation how to investigate crimes? You know, it is a huge problem to use detectives because it takes, I'd say, at least five to ten years to become a good detective because you got to learn from the people that are there who are going to teach you. So if there's no one there to teach you, where are all these good detectives and the detectives that stay around for 30, 35, 40 years, they're going to be running out the door because it's too dangerous. And I don't mean to get shot or it's too dangerous from the job and from the DA's office 
to stay on this job because they're looking to take your job. They're looking to take your pension and they're looking to, to, to make a splash for, you know, for the left. And it's disgraceful. Pension roulette for sure, Billy. Pension roulette for sure. Now, I just want to make a point about the Detective Bureau in the NYPD. Now, for years, historically, every time you see a major incident in the news where a person is murdered or kidnapping or whatever, most of the time, the detectives wind up solving the case. Now, I had a conversation just yesterday with a detective from Brooklyn South. I don't want to go too deep into where he works because uh, it, it, it might not be so good for his career. But he was telling me how two years ago there were 19 detectives in his squad. Now he's down to nine. They're doing the same amount of work and actually crime is much higher with only nine detectives as opposed to 19 two years ago. With Between retirements, transfers, and what, what have you, they're down 10 detectives. Not one was replaced. So now a detective that catches a major shooting or a homicide, he's really working very, very limited, and he's still catching all the other cases. Just because you're catching a shooting or a homicide with the lack of manpower does not mean you're going to not catch the domestic violence case, the burglary case, whatever it may be. So what happens is, is that the cases don't get the proper investigation or attention that they should be getting. So again, now there's going to be, and, and there was statistic on it recently, that less homicides are being cleared as time goes on with the uptick in crime. Why? Less manpower, less cases are being solved. You know, one of the things also is that, uh, and what I was trying to lead into with this, is what are we going to do about recruiting and getting new people to come on a job? Number one, of course, you got to pay cops better. The, new York City is the richest city in the world. They pay they start cops at forty five thousand dollars a year. That's should disgraceful. That. that should be that should be an embarrassment to the mayor. That should be an embarrassment to all the politicians. And you know, Nassau and Suffolk County, you know, a year or two down the road, they're over six figures. Our guys are, you know. Takes five or six years to reach eighty-five thousand. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know, just it's 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 outrageous. It makes me sick. The number one, yeah, New York City Police Department, still across the world, gets a tremendous amount of respect. You know what Adams was just quoted as saying? Oh, what are you going to do about all the cops quitting? Oh, it's actually a good thing. It'll we can make the department more diverse. Are you <laughs> kidding me, Adams? Are you kidding me? Just try and get some people to come on the job. Never mind diversity. You can't even get them to come on. It's crazy. Oh, the third thing I almost forgot is they want to lower the standards now. Yeah. We can't get good people, so let's just lower the standards. That equals more corruption, more lawsuits, more damages. It, it's just how they can even say that let's lower the standards. Oh, so... Let's lower the wall from six feet to four feet. <laughs> you know, let's lower all the physical, let's lower the mental standards. Mile, 0.6, 1.6 mile, no more, no more requirement. When, when do you ever chase anyone for a mile, 1.6 miles anyway, you know? It's crazy. It is just, it's just. Mike, pathetic. you could probably speak on this. I remember going through the physical agility test to get on the job, and it was, I believe it was, you had to complete the whole uh, obstacle course in three minutes and 15 seconds or less. And it was run up three flights down to into the gym, drag the dummy, jump over the wall, whatever it was. Now they broke it into sections where you only have to run up the stairs, 
then run down the stairs, then you break, then th that's a certain number of seconds. Then you go drag the dummy to a number of feet, whatever it is. So, I mean, they've lowered it. Now they're lower it, lowering it even more where you don't have to complete the run. So, Mike, what do you think about that? You know, they have no recourse. There's, they, they can't. I was just talking to a, a, an inspector who's uh, pretty involved with recruitment. And he said, I think it was the last class or the class prior, they were looking to get 1500 They only got, I think, 650 And And he said, and to get that 650 first of all, the, inve the investigations that you and I went through and the three of us went through, he says that the, the applicants' investigations are nothing like they used to be. So um, aside from the physical, it's – uh, the physical requirements being lowered, it's it's all across it's across the board because they can't get guys. And then what he was telling me, which actually really surprised me, I, I never gave it a thought. They can't get guys because a lot of these younger, the younger, I guess, generation you want to call them, or these twenty-something year olds, they're all on prescribed meds, yeah, uh, Xanax. And they put it, you know, you have to put down what you're on or what your doctors, what you're seeing doctors for. And and the minute they get that, they're off the list. You know, they don't they don't accept those guys, thankfully. But you know, you know, Mike, that is that is endemic with our time. These yeah. times, you know, my, my son, when he was in first grade or second grade, his teacher called us in and said, you know, he's got a, an attention problem. He really we want to put him on. You're not putting him on shit. I told him. That's too bad he has an attention problem. We'll, we'll work on it. And you're not putting him on, I forget, Ritalin. They wanted to put him on Ritalin. Oh, I nice, said, no, nice. absolutely not. He's not going on anything. Yeah. And we stood up. You know what I mean? Yep. But you could see the type of man I am. I stood up. <laughs> yeah, but these parents got, you know, some of them don't stand up because if Ritalin's going to solve the problem of a kid being a little wild, they're going to give their kid Ritalin. And, it's and, it's you know. it's just it's you know, I want to show another thing too, which is going to be a huge problem for oh, the I department, and one, it's it's actually I I almost find it funny because they don't know what to do with this. Oh, have you seen this one? Yeah, I've seen it. Because marijuana now is no longer illegal, so how can we make cops not allowed to smoke it? It's not illegal, right. so they got a big shitstorm of a problem here, you know. And now they're, they're playing ping pong with it because they don't know. The legal bureau doesn't know. The psych service doesn't know. Let's just put it on hold until we figure out what to do with this. You know, you're going to be, you're going to have a, you're going to see a car, a radio car with a plume of smoke coming out the back window. <laughs> sad. Unbelievable. It's really sad. And, you know, I mean it half as a joke and half not. It's It's just... What, that, that's a big problem. They got a big problem with that because look, people have, um, Oh, I, I'll, I'll tie this in. People get medicinal marijuana, but you know what those sneaky little fuckers did? If you apply for medicinal marijuana and you have a gun permit, yeah. they take it from you. Did you know that Mike? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. They're real sneaky little weasels. So if Mike Cadella, who has a gun carry permit, you know, hey, everyone's getting this, uh, you know, this medicinal marijuana. I could use it. I get a little stressed out. Let me apply for it. Yeah, Mike, you got it. But you know what? You got a gun permit. We're taking it from you. Wow. You sneaky little weasels. You sneaky little leftists. Wow. You know? Crazy. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. Did you I think with the, um, with the marijuana, 
it it basically I think what they were getting to was you're violating the civil rights of any person that wants to consume something that's legal if you don't allow it them to do it based on their job. But listen, let's face it. No cop should be smoking marijuana. I think that's way over the top, even though it could be legal and medicinal and all these other different things. I don't think that you should be enforcing the law if you're smoking marijuana. I mean, you have a couple of drinks after work at night, you know, by the next day you're Phil, fine. Phil, you know something? I agree, Phil, I agree with you, but they're in a legal quandary here. Yes, yes. They really they, are. What they, do we do? You I know? think they're trying to get ahead of it because they figured someone's going to get fired and then they're going to say, hey, wait, marijuana is legal. I smoked it six months ago, you know, before I was on the job or whatever. And then they're going to turn around and they're going to say, well, you, you can't violate their rights. They were trying to get it ahead of it, I think. But you're right. They're in a legal quandary, 100%. Phil, we're going to go to a quick commercial and we'll come sure. right back. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe at jmurray-law.com. And if anybody's interested in advertising on Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, just send us an email at policeoffthecuff.com. The number one at Gmail. The rates are very reasonable. We have an international audience. People across the country love us. It might be the right thing for your business. And like I said, the rates are very reasonable. So just shoot us an email and we'll give you the details. We don't accept marijuana ads. Right. <laughs> We're old school. Until they figure this thing out, you know? No dispensary ads. So, Mike, you must you you deal with a lot of young kids, probably a lot of young kids coming on the job, a lot of young kids that are on the job. Yep. When they come to you for advice, what do you say to them? Man, I tell you, it's really tough because <clears throat> you know some of them want to be active, and you you know you don't want to tell a guy not to be active because you know that's the job and that's what they came on for. In the same sense, you have to tell them, you know, they have to be careful. Not only, like you said earlier, not only physically or against you know protect themselves from the from the, the bad guy but the job's out to, to to hang these people to hang these young guys so it's they really i mean i got like my place is full of cops and uh and I, like you said a lot of, mostly young guys and it's tough man they come and they tell me these stories that this like you said earlier uh phil they're so understaffed it's amazing where they were putting out five or six cars now they're putting out two cars or sometimes three cars, or then somebody makes a call and they're working with one or two cars. It's amazing. Uh, it's you remember remember that thing, Minimum Manning? Yep. I remember I I, I, I covered the 3-0 precinct on a midnight one time. We started with five cars. We were down to just me by, by about three hours into the tour. It was, was me against that, the entire Hamilton Heights area and my I driver. I was Manning, like, you, you think the city of New York knows it's Cannon and his driver against the entire Hamilton Heights community. And we're going on gun runs. We're going on shots fired. I go, this is bullshit, you know? Wow. Unbelievable. That's real minimum Manning, Bill, I would say. Well, now, you know, like I know guys that worked in the 3-2, which is one of the proudest commands in Manhattan North. They this year just lost two officers in a line of duty shooting. Um, those, Those guys would regularly answer 30 and 40 jobs a night. 
Yeah. Without batting an eye, I'm talking back in the day. I don't know if it's like that now in the three-two, but they would they would meal. What's a meal? They had no idea what a meal was. You know, Lieutenant Pete Pranzo was a lieutenant in the three-two back in what well, I, I guess it was the seventies or eighties, and the three-two was you know was the shit. You know. Yeah. You know, Bill, I want to make a quick comment about what you just asked Mike about. What do you tell these young kids now? Recently, uh, my daughter said, Dad, how would you, in front of my wife, said, uh, Dad, how would you feel if I said I wanted to become a cop? And my wife jumped in and says, oh, no way, no way. And I said, no, no, listen, listen. I said, I had the passion to be in law, law enforcement and be a police officer. If you came to me and said, Dad, I really, really want to do this, I would go out of my way to help you because I could remember being on patrol in the early 80s and the 7 precinct. And if they had come to me and Bill Bean, you talked about this and said, listen, uh, there, there's a financial crisis. We can't pay. We're going to lay you off. Would you work for free? I would have did it for free. That's how much I loved being a cop. Now, today, you know, my daughter was just throwing that out there. She was like picking our brains or whatever. I don't think she has a career in law enforcement in mind, but I really mean that. If she came to me right now and said, this is what I want to do, I would do everything I could to help her. And I'd probably send her over to Mike for some jujitsu training for sure, because I think that the cops that are taking that extra step to do that, to learn jujitsu, they're trying to pull themselves out of harm's way with yep. these lawsuits and all these uh, diaphragm laws and everything like that. So that goes to show you that they're really into being in law enforcement. Jimmy Calandra is in the chat. He says, hey, guys, nice to see Cadella on here with you. Love to you all. Philly. Hey, <laughs> What's up, Jim? Great to see you, right? He's a good man. He just was in Vegas. He met uh, Chaz Palmateri and Sandy Blue Eyes, who uh, uh, Bill and I have had uh, Chaz Palmateri on, and I had the pleasure of meeting Sandy Blue Eyes a couple of times. They're just really, really Good people. Jimmy's also good people. I'm glad he had a great time in Vegas. I'm hoping that he's back because I wanted to uh, touch base with him. But, uh, yeah, that, that that was probably good, Jimmy. I'm glad you had a good time. You know, Mike, if anyone asks, uh, Philly and I are trying to make it big in the movie business. So if, uh, <laughs> if you come up with any any roles that you think we would be We don't want to be for. extras, though, Mike. <laughs> yeah. We, be we, want, we want have to have at least one line. Don't give us any of this bullshit walk-on stuff, you know? Hey, I got the view colored hero. How's that? How about stunt work? Do a little- <laughs> I don't do stunt work. I'm too old for that. Dang, stunt work. That I, Mike, I already just got my body. second hip, my right hip. I just had done, and I have so my stunt days are over. Go Even if I it. fall down, I just stay down. You know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I can imagine the aches and pain you must have from practicing jujitsu all these years. All day. Yeah, but Billy, that doesn't stop you from pulling out the big cannon. That's right. That's right. Jiu-jitsu. This is called a nine. (laughs) My father used to tell me that, you know, when he was a kid, a guy would be like, karate, Korea, and they'd say, monkey wrench, Brooklyn. I like that. I remember when I was a kid, a guy said, I know karate. And one of the guy's response was, yeah, well, I know crazy and beat the shit out of him. I know crazy. You know, I want to put another little short video on about someone that um, recently, hang on, let me, sometimes these things don't let me set it up with the, I got to remove it and then I'll set it back up. Uh, Someone else that was on the job and and left for whatever the reason. Well, let's see what, uh, a, a detective, a first grade detective, let's see what she has to say about why she left, because it seems that 
people are leaving for all different types of reasons. Comparable to the 1990s, an NYPD detective is sharing what she saw leading up to her retirement last week. And the so thank you. Detective first grade Veronica Correa brought to tears on retirement day last week. The 47-year-old started in 1994 in the 83rd precinct in Bushwick. I grew up in such a bad neighborhood. So I wanted to make change. As a rookie, she was writing a ticket when she says a young gang member was fatally shot by a 15-year-old. So for me, it was, wow, like this is real. Like there is no regard for human life. But she says through community policing and later as an undercover, things improved. Since 1999, she mentored others at the tactical training facility on City Island, teaching. Executing search warrants. Uh, active shooters. The career undercover was put back in uniform last month to back up police on foot patrol, particularly in the Wakefield section of the Bronx where there was looting. I hear uh, uh, numerous shots. So I look at my supervisor and I go, shots? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, it's still daytime out. Then we came back the next day and while we're out there, People are just shooting all night long. Correa was deeply affected by the breakdown in relations between cops and community. The detective says she was so worried while in uniform, she didn't eat while on the job. And a guy said to me, real quietly, because he didn't want anybody to hear, listen, we don't all hate you. And an older gentleman told me, I wish you dropped dead. The single mom says she wanted to stay to help her brothers and sisters in blue, but her daughter asked her to come home. I was afraid of either getting killed or losing my pension. The head of the Detectives Endowment Association says recently changed laws on how to restrain someone is why he believes almost half of the recent retirees are detectives. If you're in a violent struggle, it's very difficult not to touch from the neck to the waist. Correa, who's affectionately known as Mama Bear, says her love for the city won't stop. She just has to adjust to lending her support from the sidelines. Lisa so there's one other story, you know, uh, we all had our reasons for coming on this job. We all had our reasons for leaving. I just remember my very last day on the job. I went down to uh, the Broadway, you know, you put your papers in over there and then you go to one PP, you know, and everyone's like, they, you know, everyone's like, oh, they, it's, it's almost a little bit phony, you know, because I think they were told, look, be nice to the guys. They'll just take their shield and throw it on that pile and shit. Put it on that little pillow, the little purple pillow and stuff. Oh, you know, they were nice to you, Billy. They weren't. Yeah, and, and, and be nice and be nice to them, you know. But I was a little bit in a fog, I because I, I mean, you do all that time as a cop, and like, you always like carried a gun. And then I'm walking around the city. I don't have a gun, you know. I don't have a shield. And I remember I walked back all the way up to the West Village up Bleecker Street, and I said, "All right, I got enough of a tour of the city." I called a car from Manhattan North Homicide. I said, all right, guys, pick me up, you know. And, but it was, it was almost surreal. Like I didn't feel I, like I felt something huge was missing from my life. But yet I never looked back and I was happy that I left. You know, Paul, Paul DiGiacomo, president of the DEA, he, him and I, were, we came on a job together. We were first partner. He was my first partner. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he, he, worked, he worked in one. He worked in PSA one. Yeah, and his his I worked with his dad in District Thirty Four. The District Thirty Four. I have a lot of friends that went there that came out with me that went to District Thirty Four. So well, none of you guys, like but none of you guys have any touching story like the one I just told. 
<laughs> Billy, when I when I retired, I gave my guy uh, the guy at the window the shield, and I think he I don't know if he was a rubber gun or what. He just he took it and he tossed it, and I go, "Is that it?" He goes, "That's it." I was like, "There was no pillow. There was no uh, you know teary eyed moments." I think they the started world. doing the pillow thing because people complained. They were like, "This is bullshit, man." Yeah, was that? down there and they take your tin and they throw it on a gigantic pile of tins, you know? Well, what, what, year, what year was that pill uh, incident? I got out in uh, 2011. Oh, yeah, geez. I, I, re I retired in 2003. There was no pillow Me when too. I retired. 2003. I, I oh, so you, got, you, got, you guys got pre-pillow. <laughs> the only pillow I got was sitting under my ass waiting to get a call to turn my shield in. And, you yeah. know, you always had to be careful not to turn in your dupe, right? You're yeah. like, oh, no, no, make sure you turn in your real shield, which I kept on my shirt my whole career. I, you know, I was a sergeant 22 years, and my my real shield stayed on my shirt. I had my dupe with me all the time, you know. Right. My dupe might as well have been my real shield because it was always, right. police! <laughs> More people saw the dupe than my real shield. So I love telling these funny stories, you know. And here we are, guys. We're not even drinking. We come up with these great stories. Hey, Bill, Imagine I got to make a point, though. Uh, Mike was talking about if he owns the, the uh, Sala Maria. I mean, when they bum-rushed the, uh, the the Gucci store and they took all the bags, they're not, you know, if they're grabbing salamis and pepperonis, they're going to be sliding all over the place. It'll probably be easy <laughs> to catch them. And, and they'll be able to sniff them out. They'll be able to send that, uh, you know, the, the dog after them, you know? I'm going to play a little bit of this. This will be the final uh, little video. This is Cops in the Academy now. Instructive. Inspect your companies. a little bit about neighborhood policing, why it's important to have community ties. To build trust. To build trust. It helps with cooperation as far as education purposes go. So community relations helps us solve crime. It gives us a better relationship with the people. Good morning, company. Good morning, sir. All right, good deal. Today we're going to talk about weapons. So a deadly weapon. Okay, you want to write this down. Any loaded weapon... Is that a guy practicing his saxophone during lunch hour or what? What's going on there? Now I've seen it all, Bill. <laughs> Well, we all were from 20th Street and between 2nd and 3rd. This was all supposed to be a billion-dollar building, the Academy uh, in Queens right now. And I think they ran out of money. It was just below a billion dollars because they were supposed to actually build 
a new um, range, fly, uh, shooting range, as well as a new driving range. You know, Floyd Bennett Field, they were supposed to build one of them on this property, and I think they ran out of money. And uh, so that that went uh, that went south. But the new, if you've never been to the new police academy, and I call it new, I don't know how old, maybe it's 10 years old now, it is an impressive building. It's gigantic. It's just a gigantic uh, building, and it's amazing that the city uh, ever came up with that amount of money to build this facility, uh, especially in the era of uh, defund policing, you know, just incredible. You know, I, I think that's, you know, we're, we're at an hour and 20, an hour and 12 minutes. Mike, I want to just really thank you uh, so much for coming on. And I want to leave it open for you to come back in the future because you're, you're really a, an excellent guest. Uh, I'd also like to tell you folks that are listening Mike has his own uh, podcast called Up Against the Wall. Mike Cadella on YouTube, and he also what's the name of your jujitsu school? Uh, your jujitsu school, Mike Cadella Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on Staten Island Victory Boulevard. Okay, Cadella Ju- Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Bring your own uh, veal color parmesan hero for afterwards. We don't supply those. We- <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we do. That's that's the uh, you you pass your exam you get a veal palm. Yeah. That's right you get a you, 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 but you got to pay because every time you get a you go up in a belt you got to pay for the belt right. Yeah. No, not in my place, but yeah, some places, not mine. Oh, you don't do that? No, no, no. Wow, Staten Island, man. It's you. you I would imagine you got two hundred students. One hundred and eighty-nine of them must be Italian. <laughs> <laughs> He's riding that Italian thing tonight. <laughs> Staten Island. Come on, Staten Island. It's uh right. <laughs> Philly, final words. Final words, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on. I think your insight was great tonight. Uh we have a problem in New York City and across the country, keeping, retaining, and hiring law enforcement officers. Let's hope for the best. Let's hope that people start to wake up and vote these uh these democratic politicians out and start back in the police city council, wake up. Uh, We have a beautiful city. We have a beautiful country. Let's keep it that way. Let's get it back. And uh, you know, we live in a great country. I said that earlier, we're going through some really rough times, but it's not the end of the line. We can turn it around. We could get it back. A lot of uh, real good people in this country that want to do the right thing. And let's keep uh, pushing for that. Uh, uh, Mike, what was your podcast again? Why don't you give a plug to your podcast? Um, it's my name, Mike Cadella, Up Against the Wall. And um, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Cool. Mike, you have any final words? Uh, no, man. Thanks for having me. And um, I really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. It was a lot of fun. And um, keep doing what you guys are doing. You guys do great stuff, you know? Mike, where'd you get that brick wall from, man? I'd like to get one of those behind me. It looks cool. <laughs> That's what he punches when he gets That's really right. That's, right. That's how he, what do they I call was, that? They call it hand treatment, right? Or conditioning. I wasn't buying a house unless it had a brick wall. So <laughs> I finally found one. That's yeah. great. That's how all they you get f- the calluses on the knuckles, too. That's right. All you folks, uh, all you folks in the chat, all you folks that are subscribed to us, I want to thank everyone, uh, especially all our Patreon members, our YouTube channel members. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. God bless. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks, guys. One episode just ain't enough.